Welcome to the Dealmakers Coffee Break, where we talk to industry pros about their success stories, deals, and market insights in just enough time for you to enjoy a cup of coffee. So grab your mug and join us for a chat with the people behind the deals. I'm Asaf Raz. Let's go. So welcome to another episode of the Dealmakers Coffee Break Edition. And today I have a returning guest from season one, Chad Sutton, which I talked to his mom lately, Tammy, but don't tell anyone. Uh, he's from Quattro Capital, which is one of my favorite companies because of the value they bring into the world of real estate investing. And uh, yeah, Chad, if anyone doesn't remember, please take it away. Tell us a bit about yourself and Quattro, and we'll take the conversation from there. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me back on the show. You know, we think a lot of you guys and uh, and the products you guys have out there as well. And uh, you know, big secret, we are finally launching our as of this recording Agora platform this there week. Thirtieth is the day. Congratulations, so, man! Congratulations. Yes, I'm so excited. Anyway, yeah, who am I? Uh, so I, my title's director of acquisitions, but you know, my scope is really director of anything transaction based in in Quattro Capital. So I run everything related to capital markets with the debt side everything related to deal structure, underwriting teams, refinance and disposition opportunities, and everything that that touches, right? So I'm really more on the transaction side of Quattro. A little about me on the nerdy side, I am a recovering engineer, folks. I was in corporate America for a long time, climbed that ladder, didn't like what I found at the top, and decided to build my own ladder. But uh, you know, I did some cool things. I was a combustion engineer for a long time. I got to, I got to be one of the people who recovered the uh, aftermath of the GE stock price implosion, if you remember that back in the day. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, had some very fortunate experiences uh, being right place, right time and made me who I am today. Since our last conversation, a lot of things changed in the market. What are, what are we actually seeing on the ground? What are you feeling on the ground today that has changed comparing to last year? And what are the, some things that Quattro is doing today to kind of fit your business model into the current state of the market? Yeah, thank you for that question. And, and you know, folks, the first thing I'll say is, is if you're an operator today, you have felt some headwinds, the, mm-hmm. the winds of disaster, the winds of change and the winds of opportunity, they blow on us all. So let them fill your sails and ride the freaking wave and quit, you know, no, no, no woe is me activity, right? But the first thing I'll say is everyone operating or investing today, you should consider yourself very fortunate because you are getting to live cycles that usually take years to manifest themselves that are happening in quarters, right? I know mentors of mine who are, they have gray beards and lots of scars and stripes who have been in this industry for over 50 years and they haven't seen this. This, this what we're living today has not happened in America since the 1970s and early 80s. Folks, if you haven't watched the economic cycle video by Ray Dalio, go spend 30 minutes of your life and watch it. It's on YouTube. It'll, it'll really just help you understand the economic cycle, but what we are living is what's called a big debt cycle. And we know everything because we have, I won't go into this rabbit hole unless you want me to, but because we have fiat currency around the world, it's not static. Money gets worth more and less depending on what's going on. Well, again, we know we've been living inflation in, the, in our country and around the world because we pumped a lot of money during COVID to prevent the world from revolting during the COVID shutdown, right? Well, I mean, I'm not arguing it wasn't necessary, but it has implications. We doubled the money supply. And so we've been feeling the effects of inflation massively. The last time we had massive inflation was late 1970s. And what did they do? They ran rates up to 18%. Some of your parents will remember buying homes at 18%. I don't think we're going to go that high, but that's what we're fighting. 
is an increase in money supply and the inflationary effects as that are a result of it. The other thing we're fighting is there is a lot of attacks on the U.S. dollar as being the world reserve currency. And I'm not here to debate that politically, whether it's right or wrong, but, you know, like it or not, other countries around the world have not felt we've been super judicial or, or judicious with our power as the mm-hmm. world reserve currency. And so there's challenges there. So the Fed has two jobs, two jobs. One is to protect the U.S. dollar. We think number one is inflation. It's not. Number one is protect the U.S. dollar as the world reserve currency. And you, I mean, you, you, you think it's a coincidence that banks like SVB and, you know, crypto.com or whatever it was. And, and I think the other, uh, the, the major uh, FTX mm-hmm. that recently went under investigation with anything, that's a, that's a coincidence. No, that is the Fed protecting the dollar. SVB was very heavy in crypto. They allowed it to fail. They could have backed it up. They allowed it to fail. Mm-hmm. And FTX was a major crypto contender who had a lot of support and was threatening the world SWIFT system, how we move money around. Mm-hmm. The Fed will turn off the freaking power if they have to, to protect the money supply. So I digress there, but that's their number one job. Number two is price stability. No, like we cannot have, we cannot have hyperinflation in this country or the ripple effects of that with, with us being the world reserve currency, or we will no longer have the power we do over oil and every, all those massive commodities that, that are traded in us dollars. So that's what we're, that's what we're dealing with. And so if you bring it all the way back here to the micro scale, if you are a property operator today and you're dealing with this debt cycle that is a byproduct of the interest rates being hiked very rapidly, which is good for us property owners who probably had some business plans we're trying to operate, you know, you're going to have to ride the wave because the Fed doesn't care about you. They care about those two things we just talked about. Mm -hmm. That's, that's That's a great, I've never heard this one before. So you talked about the macro environment, right? What's happening as an operator? What's happening on the day to day? How does that influence specifically you or Quattro in terms of your strategy? Yeah, like your investments, how you do lending. Like, what are what are those influences? So let's bring it all back down to the the macro property level environment. We were just talking macro globally, global yeah. economics. Which, if you're not a student of it, you better become it, or it will crush you, right? But macro real estate economics, you know. Inflation has not been lost on us. We have felt construction prices go up. Pretty much every tech thing, our tech stack has gotten more expensive. People have gotten more expensive. So payroll's up 40%. You know, insurance, let's not even talk about the insurance world that is in turmoil because of the amount of claims and natural disasters we've had in the last several years. So whereas we used to be really accustomed to $250 to $300 per unit in insurance, that don't exist anymore. At best, you're looking for $500 a door. And if you're in coastal markets, you might be looking at 3,000 a door. It's just, it's sure. massive what the number is. So we're in a world where expenses are rising faster than we can get income up. And that's a scary world to be in, folks. And so being efficient with how you're spending your, your OPEX dollars is very, very important because I don't care who you are, your OPEX is up. Now, the good thing about multifamily real estate, I can't speak for other sectors as intelligently, but the good thing about multifamily real estate is as long as the market fundamentals in your market, you know, people are still moving in, jobs are, are, are coming in and wages are going up. Eventually, it'll take you three, four or five years, but eventually we will restabilize that income line because we're, we're not going to sit there and just not raise rents. We're going to push as hard as we can to maintain that OPEX ratio. Everything is rebalancing. Expenses are hitting first. Now, let's talk about the income line a little bit, though. 
what we're seeing is, you know, we we are in a recession, whether anyone will admit it or not. Okay, yes. we are seeing that behavior. Occupancy has dropped. It's it, across the nation. It's gone. It's gone down an average of three hundred basis points, about three percent. Some markets are as little as one. Some markets are as high as seven, eight, nine, ten percent. You know, it's a local issue, but in most of our markets, it's it's three to five percent. We've seen occupancies drop. We're having to fight more to get those residents. You, not everything you put out there for lease just gets snapped up at whatever price anymore. So what's happening? That has induced rent growth to moderate, not because we can't get the leases, because we can't get the leases fast enough, right? So envision you're a property owner and you have 10 leases and now you realize, well, gee, they're not all going to get snapped up real quickly. Well, the longer they sit, the more it costs you. So you're probably going to say, well, instead of a $100 rent bump, maybe I'll be happy with a 50 because if it sits for 30 days, I've lost a whole year of benefit, you know? So you are seeing rent growth moderate, not because the, the the population isn't there, because we felt some element of people moving in together and households reducing a little bit, right? The supply and demand problem is still there, folks. We're still 3 million homes short, and we're still a million rental units short and closing. So that hasn't gone away. But we also have massive deliveries coming this year. Why? Because, and when I say deliveries, I mean new construction. In 2020, remember that little thing called a pandemic we experienced? We're still feeling economic long COVID, right? We're still feeling the impacts of that. A lot of money said, you know, gee, I still want to be in in this sector, but I'm not going to go operate right now because I don't know what lenders are doing and I don't know if people are going to pay rent. I'm just going to go build something. And three years from now, it'll be ready to go to market. Well, guess what? It's three years from now, right? So all that stuff is coming to market. We have a massive amount of new product hitting the market, not enough to close the gap on rental units needed. It, it's making a dent, but after this year, it tapers off. So you're, you're feeling two effects there of occupancy coming down a little bit and rental growth moderating. So if you're thinking you're going to go get you know 10 to 15% organic rent growth without doing much work as you have in the past, you're probably not going to see that for the next year or two. And then we're probably going to get back to the normal rate of you know 4 to 6%, which is a little elevated from gross average over a long time. Mm-hmm. So you can still renovate units and snap things to market. That still works, but you're just you're you're seeing longer downtimes. You're seeing a little more delay in getting it back up. So you're feeling a little more economic vacancy, which mm-hmm. means net effect, the income line is is not moving up as fast as it used to. And the expense line is moving up a lot faster than it used to. So you really have to be operating well these days. Do you, do you feel like people usually underwrite or take in, into consideration in financial modeling this kind of behavior within their real estate assets, specifically talking about multifamily. Like, do you feel like anybody knew to calculate that in? No, no. And I, and I think, especially if you're buying, you're still seeing brokerages putting out the same 2% expense increase. They might, if they're smart, you know, be snapping things to market on expenses, which means your in-place cap rate really doesn't mean anything anymore. You have to be looking at tax and insurance adjusted cap rates day one. What is your takeover cap rate? Because I mean, right now, those numbers used to be pretty close together, like the in-place cap rate on T3, T12, T6 versus the takeover. Now, the last deal we looked at, which we're considering buying, is you know it's a 5.8 cap rate on in-place, which is fantastic. I mean, that same deal would have been four just last year, you know. But by the time I'm done adjusting expenses to where they really will be for us, it's a five cap. So you have almost a hundred basis points of spread between like what the actual cap rate on the T12 is. And what you're going to see as the operator, so that, that's a that's a big thing. And then you know, back to the underwriting side of things, you really shouldn't be 
banking on much, if any, organic rent growth over the next year or two. You might get some, but you need to be prepared for none and make sure that underwrites well. You're probably still going to be able to get your rent bumps for renovation. That's taking something old and making it new, and that, that will cost more still. But you really have to assume that organic rent growth is a lot lower, and it takes a lot longer to get things leased up and, and hitting the books, right? So that, that really kills a lot of deals because the second part of that, you have to think about, okay, my, in, my expenses are up higher, my income is moving slower, and we're just not really sure where our long-term interest rates are going to be, which you know, we can argue interest rates don't drive cap rates all day long. They really don't, but interest rates do drive money flow and money flow drives cap rates. If money is not going into multifamily or commercial real estate, cap rates will go up. If it is going in, cap rates will go down. You want to bet debt doesn't influence that. So we're, we're, we're not really settled yet on, you know, where should a cap rate be today? What, like what is, I, and I've never had a harder time valuing property than I do right now. And that's both on the buy and the sell side, because it's like, well, what, what is reasonable? What does market need to see? And Conventional wisdom suggests we're at the peak of the rate cycle. We might climb a little higher, you know, maybe 50 bips higher, but it's really hard to get people in a rising rate environment to buy something with negative leverage. That is the cap rate is lower than the interest rate. Yeah. On the flip side of it, I know that a lot of GP syndicators chose to not take fixed rate loans throughout their multifamily investment cycle, which means that payday has, you know, I think it started at the beginning of the year, but payday for bridge loans is it's here. And they're used to being able to come back every year and say, Hey, dear lender, whatever lender that is, I need better terms than what I had last year. And they would be like, okay, you get better terms because money's cheap. What do you think the, have you seen any entrepreneurs encounter this situation? And if so, how, how do they deal with it? I feel like it's a, you have to sell, right? Or you have to call capital, which is, so yeah. How, how do you see them deal with that? Yeah, that's a great question. And we, we may spend the rest of the time on this one, but you know, we are, we're in a big debt cycle, as I mentioned, and you know, a big debt cycle can have a catastrophic ending or a soft landing. It could have what's called a smooth deleveraging or a catastrophic deleveraging, you know, go watch Ray Dalio's video, but yeah, here's the situation, right? And, you know, fortunately we, we've been, we have been students of the economy long enough to know, okay, we, we don't need to be leveraging high right now. We need to be we know rates are going to go up at some point. Now, we thought conservative was like all in rates before and a half, 5%. We're way beyond that, right? So we, we did not have the wherewithal or, or knowledge to know this was coming. And I don't even think anybody did. But the challenge is, in the last two or three years, if you've been putting bridge debt on your on your properties, that's okay as long as you were mitigating the risk, right? One of them is through interest rate caps on variable loans. So we were buying one and one and a half percent strike rate caps before it was cool. People thought we were crazy and wasting money on it. Well, who's laughing now, right? So for it like four percent, and we're, yeah, we all we're dealing with one. So that that kicks the can down the road because we have kind of an insurance policy against the rate. You've seen a couple of properties going back to the bank already where they were bought highly leveraged and to the tune of like seventy five or eighty percent bridge. Then they put pref equity behind it, and to get to 90 percent leverage. And you know, so anything above seventy-five percent leverage, you're probably hurting right now, because bridge loans are typically two to three years, and they'll give you one or two years extensions, but those extensions aren't guaranteed. You got to hit debt yield, you got to hit all sorts of other covenants they might. And insurance rates, and insurance rates that went up, and insurance rates. So your opex is also up. So your NOI is probably, you know, you're probably you've probably gone slower than you thought you would. 
because we've had supply chain issues. Your expenses are higher. So your NOIs may not, even if you're getting rent bumps, you thought you would, your NOIs might not be where you're supposed to be. So let's, let's talk about the solution. Mm-hmm. You really have three levers to pull and they all, they all equal money, right? So if you bought it low enough or you were leveraged low enough, you know, we've already refinanced a couple things to, to mid or perm debt, which has been great. If you have that ability, you're probably like, okay, well, this sucks, but I'm refinancing it, you know, five and a half to six and a half percent, but I'm able to refinance. And if you do that, okay, fine. Get yourself a, a four or five year loan. Don't go seven or 10 because you're going to be mm-hmm. kicking yourselves eight years from now when that prepayment penalties through the roof and you locked in at six, but give yourself, you know, four or five years to get through this interest only as much as you can. Mm-hmm. I'm recommending the five-year Fannie product or Freddie product, because if it underwrites well, you can get full-term IO. It's assumable. You can put a supplemental loan on it. So it really gives you maximum flexibility in that the loan is assumable if you decide to sell three years from now instead of instead of terminate. Your full-term interest only, which makes it more attractive to buyers and to you, and you, you know you're only locked in for five years. So you're you know when the rates do come back down, and I say when they will, question is when you know when they come back down. You're not locked into a ten-year loan. Like you can probably go refi at four or five percent wherever we're going to mm-hmm. be. So that that's option one. Option two is you really need to look at bringing in extra equity, right? And so look, equity is expensive. Because it's in for the life of the loan, it dilutes everybody else that's there, assuming you come in common equity, or you could look at pref equity, which kind of comes in in front of your current investors or you if you're the equity. And that's 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 not really that palatable, but it may be what you have to do. Because if, if your property has $4 million, let's just say $4 million in debt on it, you know, and it only underwrites for $3 million today, you got to come up with that extra million bucks to get that loan out or hand over the keys, Right. The, the second part you can do there is, you know, there are a lot of debt funds, us included, debt funds out there who will say, okay, hey, we'll, we'll lend you 8 to 12% money and just give us at least a year of interest and then get us out. So if you just need a time to get from now until three years from now or two years from now, we'll lend you the money. We're going to be in front of all your equity and require a personal guarantee as most will, but it gives you time to let the rates moderate and then you refinance, mm-hmm. you know, into a, into a long-term loan. So there's, there's ways to do that. Now, option number three is you sell. Um, and we're just, this is where we haven't really, we've seen prices moderate. They've not moderated near to the point, as Green Street will tell you, they've mo- yeah. not moderated near to the point they need to be to make the expense loads and rates make sense today. Yeah. What's going to cause that is distressed and motivated selling. And so we've been able to hold on, everyone has, hoping for a sunnier day. But as these loan maturations really start to stack up, this is where the the, the true choice of, well, can I refinance? Do I have the equity to make up the gap if I can't refinance? And if not, I got to sell. And then you're yeah. going to basically sell when you have to sell. And that's going to be where the market will bear. And so yeah, you know, the only way you run out of you, you get in trouble in this market is you run out of time or you run out of money. I say this all the time, and I don't know why I just made an L with my hand there. <laughs> you know, time or money, and time, like when a loan is coming due, that can force you to sell at a time when it's not the best time to sell, which is going to be where deals come from. So that's kind of the the trifecta of what your options are. I would say, well, in secret option number four. Most lenders learned a big lesson in the Great Recession. You know, they don't want to see massive defaults and keys coming back on their balance sheet. Most don't. There, there are some lend-to-own players out there, so be careful with those. But 
talk with your lender early. If, 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 if an extension needs to happen or a, a restructuring of the loan needs to happen to extend it a couple of years, talk with them. You know, some will say no, pound sand, but sometimes if it's, especially if it's a bank, they'll probably be more apt to do that because they don't want to see a bad loan on their books. You know, yeah. if you're paying and you're a good client, you can probably just kick the can down the road a few years, for maybe for some penalties or whatever you can negotiate. That may be what a lot of people, people are already doing that, I guess is my point. Yeah. So yeah. those are kind of your four options. And I think that kind of covers it. But yeah, look. This isn't a woe is me time, folks. Don't put it off. Get ahead of it. Like, yeah. like you know, any, any refinance we have coming this year, we've been working on for six months, you know, mm-hmm. so get ahead of it, plan right. If you got to change operations, do it mm-hmm. and just, you know, make sure you're, pl- you're, you're managing your debt portfolio, just like you're managing your asset portfolio. I love that, Chad. I love that. I always leave space in the episode for what I call a shameless plug, where you shamelessly offer people what you're selling, what you're doing today, how you can help them. And just feel free to do that without, as I said, no shame. Just go ahead. Yeah. I guess two shameless plugs, you know, one, we <laughs> have a great, uh, a great podcast that we're talking about stuff like this all the time, real estate runway, anywhere podcasts or YouTube videos or anything like that are shown. I think we're even on TikTok now for your swiping pleasure. So check that out. Real estate runway podcast. Uh, and the other, awesome. you know, link is going to be in the bio, a link to the podcast is going to be in the bio. We'll make sure. Perfect. Perfect. And the other is, you know, we are an active investment firm. We have, you know, fixed income funds, common equity funds, launching a pref equity fund to kind of go rescue some deals that might be in trouble. So, mm-hmm. you know, we we are private offerings. We'd love to get to know you. But if that sounds of interest, reach reach out to us at thequatroway.com and we'd love to have a conversation. Chad, as again, one more time, it was a pleasure having you on on the podcast. It's always a pleasure having you on the podcast. And yeah, we'll see you all in the next episode. Thank you so much, Chad. You're the man. Thanks. Thank you for joining us. Check out more episodes on the Dealmakers podcast available on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, and Agora's website at agorareal.com slash podcast. See you in the next episode.